John's Gospel, chapter number 15. Let's start reading verse 13. It says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. You have chosen me, but or you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. You should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever you shall ask of my Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that you love one another. So we have seen the blessings of abiding in Christ, that there is a joy, a joy that is that will remain, a joy that is enduring, a joy that is lasting, a joy that is full. The commandment to love one another as Christ has loved us. He gave himself for us. It's a sacrificial love. It's a great love. It's an enduring love. But it's a, a love of a friendship. The Greek word uh, philios, uh, uh, a friend love. The love of a friend. Yes, it was necessary for Christ to die for us in the sense that in the covenant of redemption, the Father freely chose a people unto salvation. And the Son freely chose to come and die for his own. So in that regard, it was necessary for our Lord to, to lay down his life. But he had that, it was the freedom um, of, of God in that, that he did not have to save us. And then as Christ comes and dies, he dies so for his people, he dies for his sheep, he dies for the elected that the Father had chosen. But he also tells us that he dies for his friends. And this is such an amazing passage to read as Jesus standing here with these 11 men. It says, I came to lay down my life for my friends. And you are my friends. I was reading um, something the other day about um, men in this time in history, and they said that you know we're connected in more ways uh, now than probably ever before. We have access to transportation, telephones, text messages, uh, you know, video chats, and all those sorts of things. But it may be the loneliest time in, in history. And it said it hits hard, for, especially for young men, that there's just not a lot of connection in this day and time um, for, for other human beings. And that's a, a sad thing that really probably technology has had a lot to do with, that, that we connected virtually but not together. And Jesus looked at these 11 and said, you're my friends. Now you notice Jesus didn't have thousands of friends and hundreds of friends. He had 11 friends. Well, he had 12 friends and one of them betrayed him. He said, you're my friends. I've come to lay down my life for you. You're my companions. You're those that, that walk with me and travel with me. And there's not a greater love than a man would lay down his life for his friends. And that's you, men. He tells them, that's you. You're my friends. 
And I think that we look at this and the Bible tells us that Abraham was a friend of God because he walked with God by faith. The disciples were friends of God because they, they walked by faith because Christ loved them. And I believe that we, as Christ's disciples, also fall into that category. He loved me in particular. He died for me. As, a, as my friend, he laid down his life for me. You look in verse number 14. It says, you're my friends if you do whatsoever I tell ever I command you. But so that can't mean, it does not mean that Jesus is only our friend if we do whatever we say. You know, that's how little kids act, isn't it? You're my friend as long as you do exactly what I say. I used to know somebody whenever I was real little, we'd be playing a game or something and they'd say, okay, now you stand here. And then he said, okay, now you say this, and you say that, and you stand over here, and you say this, and then you do this. And, and it was sort of much, we were just kind of like their toy that, that we were just playing in their world, and they wanted us to act and say and do these things. But if you didn't do it, they'd get mad, and they wouldn't want to play with you anymore. Well, that's how little kids act, right? As long as you do what I say, as long as you do, do things that please me, then you can be my friend, but otherwise, we're not friends anymore. No, what Jesus is not saying that. Otherwise, that would never happen. This love that we have isn't based upon our performance. And then if we don't perform like we ought to, Jesus will cut us off. No, what he's saying is we do what he says because we are loved by God. Jesus is explaining the character of his friends. Now think about it the other way. Think about it the other way. So he says, you're my friends if... If you do whatsoever, I command you. So what would the opposite be? The people who are not his friends don't do what he tells them. Now, imagine someone saying that they love Jesus. And say, yeah, I'm a friend of Jesus. I don't ever want to be around him. I don't care to hear from him. I don't care to talk about him. I'd rather not hang out with his other friends. In fact, I, I just would prefer to live in opposition to him. Now, that doesn't sound like, sound like someone that would be a companion or a friend, does it? It sounds like the opposite. So Jesus is not putting condition on his friendship, but is saying, this is what happens when you abide in me. That you love me as I loved you. You love one another as I love you. And you work out the relationship that is the reality that's within you. So this is, this is what Jesus is saying here. You are my friends. If you do whatsoever I command you, you are my friends because you do what I tell you. You are my friends because you love one another, which is what he was saying. You have a true and good friend, you'd do anything for that friend, wouldn't you? And it wouldn't depend upon how they act. So they might treat you bad but you forgive them because you have a friend, a love for them that's enduring. Or you might do anything in the world for them. 
that you would drop some at the drop of a hat, you would go and, and help them because they're your friend. And you don't mind being around them. You like to be around them and you like to, to talk with them. And, and if you don't talk to them, then you miss them because, because of that friendship. And so Jesus is just explaining and illustrating the reality of that, that we who are in Christ have that blessing of fellowship with Christ and with Christ's friends and with, with the others who love Christ. And so that's the, the next thing that we see here, the next blessing of abiding in Christ is friendship with Christ. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Now Jesus is our Lord. Absolutely he is our Lord. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That Christ speaks to us and we, we obey him. We worship him. We, we adore him. He, he tells us to go and we should go. We, we bow the knee to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But Jesus is also more than that to us. That's not to say that I don't say that Jesus is our Lord. He absolutely is our Lord. And yes, we are the servants of Christ. But we are also the children of God. We are also adopted into his family. We are also saints of God. We are also the friends of God. So, we don't want to deny those other realities as well. That, that we don't want to just be the just um, law tinctured to, to where that Jesus can be nothing more than Lord. But we are, we are the friends of Christ in the family of God. One of the more remarkable stories in the Old Testament to me is the story of Mephibosheth. Um, after David takes control, he asks, who in Saul's family can he show mercy on? And he said, well, um, there's this, this, this young man, Mephibosheth. He was lame from an accident he had when he was a little kid. And he, he's, just, he's, um, he's crippled. And so David brings him into the family. And he says, I know that you're crippled, but you're also my enemy. Because you're the family of my enemy. But I'm going to bring you into the family. And I'm going to give you servants to, to take care of you since you can't take care of yourself. And you're going to come and you're going to sit at my table. And you're going to eat with me and you're going to fellowship with me. Now he didn't deserve it. He was the enemy of David. But David brings him in for grace, for Jonathan's sake, for the sake of another. And so now Mephibosheth is made a friend of David. We are made friends with Christ. We don't deserve it. We were his enemies, but we're brought in to the family. We're brought in to sit at the table. I don't deserve it. And it's hard to imagine that Christ would bring me into his company. That he would save me from my sins, cleanse me, clothe me, and then bring me into his fellowship. I feel like the prodigal son who returns and say, Lord, 
I'm not worthy to be in your presence and I'll be your servant. I'll go live with the servants and I'll serve. I'm not worthy to, to, to be in your house. But the Father bids us come. And says, no, we're going to, I'm going to cleanse you from all your sin. And I'm going to clothe you. And you're going to come as a son, not as a servant, as a son, and come before me. And so you and I have this blessed uh, relationship um, in Christ, with one another, but with Christ, as, as in the family. And Jesus says, come and dine. Come and rest. Come and fellowship. I think that's what um, the Lord is talking about in the book of Revelation. Uh, lots of people use that as an evangelistic passage where Jesus is talking to the, to the church and he tells them that he is uh, knocking on the door in uh, Revelation chapter number 3. He's talking to the church at Laodicea. He tells them that they are lukewarm. They're neither hot nor cold. They're indifferent. They're not hot, on fire. They're not cold. They just could care, could care less or couldn't care less. He says in verse 19, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. So Jesus loved them. He says, I love you because, and because I love you, I rebuke. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh, I will grant to sit with me in my throne, even also overcame and, and sat down with my father in his throne. So Jesus says, I stand at the door to knock it and to fellowship where you can have uh, this blessed communion with me. He's not saying, come and open your heart's door and I'll save you. But he's talking to people who he loves. He's talking to the, the church people here. Come and dine. Come and fellowship. Come, come and rest. Think of this reality, not just in the concept of this. I'm talking about the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ himself desiring that we fellowship with him. The Lord Jesus Christ who walked upon this earth. The Lord who was nailed to that cross. The Lord who says it is finished. The Lord who rose from the dead. saying, I call you friend. Isn't that amazing? That should warm our hearts this morning to think about what Jesus did for you. If you think about it in these lights, doesn't it make those commands just a little bit different or just maybe a little bit uh, more uh, a greater desire to do it? Now, I could talk about love, and I could tell you all the ways that you're not loving like you ought to. I could spend the rest of the time giving you examples of ways that, that you don't love the way that you ought to love. 
But I, I think that you, you know that. And there's a time for that, but I, I'm just not going to do it today. But, but what I'm th- saying this morning is, doesn't that warm your heart to want to love? Doesn't it warm your heart to want to show yourself friendly to one another? Doesn't it warm your heart to, to want to have more joy and to rest in that joy by thinking about what Christ has done for us? That's why the commandments, one reason why the commandments are grievous, because we don't have to earn the love of God in that, but because we are loved, we are just working out what God is putting in us. And so he says, come and fellowship with me. Come and, and follow me. Come and serve me. In fact, he even tells the disciples in what way they are, they have, are friends. He says, because the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I've called you friends for all things I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. So, he said, I... I've let you in on the on the mystery. A servant doesn't know the big picture. The leaders of corporations don't go down to the maintenance room and tell the workers their plans for the future. I don't know if the places that, that some of you all have worked was, but I've worked at a lot of places where every week they're going to fire every one of them. That every week is doom and gloom. And if you guys don't get this work done this week, you're all going to be fired. You're all going to be fired. That, that, that if we don't get it done, it's all over with. And it, it just, whether it's true or not, probably not true. They're just trying to motivate us or not and get us, get us to work hard. But you know what that did? didn't make me work any harder. In fact, I went and told the foreman one time after he t- told you know, threatening fire and everything. I said, if you're going to fire me, just go ahead and fire me. I said, I'm working as hard as I can, and you're not motivating me to work any harder. In fact, you're making me not even want to work here at all. So if you're going to fire me, just go ahead. Just don't tell me about it every week. You know, I, that's not, you know, you're not motivating anybody here. Nobody's working any harder because you're threatening them. And it was the truth. That law didn't threaten them to work any anybody work any harder. It it just aggravated everybody. And in fact, it made a lot of people not want to work at all. Well, the, the Jesus is saying, I'm telling you the big picture. One factory I worked at, the owners were planning on shutting the plant down and they didn't tell anybody. So this was an instance where they really were going to get rid of everybody, but they kept that a secret. So the owners knew it was a secret, or knew what they were going to do. The plant manager knew what they were going to do, but he didn't tell anybody else. The line foreman didn't know. So the plant manager just said, we need to get rid of this, get this inventory out the door as quickly as possible. And then me at the bottom of the thing, all I knew was what we had to do that day. And so the line boss said, we need to get so many units out today. And that's what we did. Because he had a plan to get so many out a month. And the whole reason why is they're trying to drain all the inventory before they, they shut the plant down. Well, they didn't have to tell us because we were the workers. We were the servants. They, why should we tell, know anything? We didn't know the big picture. They just, you do your job until we're done with you, then we'll move on somewhere else. 
Jesus said, that's the way masters do with servants. You just do what I tell you. This is above your pay grade to know what's going on behind the scenes. Well, Jesus says, look, I've let you in on the big picture. I've told you what's happening here. Jesus didn't have to tell him any of this. He didn't have to tell him about his return. He didn't have to tell us about our home in heaven. He didn't have to tell us the benefits of serving him. All Jesus has to do is just say, this is what I want you to do or else. He said, I haven't done that to you. I have told you what's expected of you. I have told you what I want you to do. I've told you what I've commanded you, but I've also told you why. And I've also told you the benefits. And I've also told you what my father has in store. And I've also told you what's in store for me. And I've also told you what's in store for this world. And I've given you the big picture. That this is more than just us 11 men here. But this is, this is the, the apex of history. The most important thing that ever will happen is about to happen. And I've let you in on it. I've told you because you're my friend. So Jesus has told us this mystery. And Paul, and I, I read that in Colossians, that Paul was made a minister of the gospel. The, the mystery has been revealed to us. The mystery of the gospel of Christ. That which was hidden in the Old Testament has been revealed to us. And so we can look back and see, yes, King David was real and the Philistine was real and Jonathan and Saul were real and it really happened, but we also see how that points us to Jesus, that their lives were illustrations uh, for us and reminders that, that God in his providence had ordained to illustrate us the love of Christ and the sacrifice of Christ and, and what he does for us. And we can see the, the, the mystery of, of uh, the covenant of redemption revealed that which the Father and the Son and the Spirit had, had ordained in eternity past before there was a world has been revealed to us and, and made known to us that we know the, the, the mystery and the, the, the truth of election and the truth of the atonement and the truth of the things to come and the truth of the, the mystery that is uh, the church, as Paul said. He tells us these things because, yes, we are his servants, but we are also his friends. What a, that's a blessing of abiding in Christ, to knowing uh, these things that God has uh, set forth. There's also another blessing here uh, in our identity. There, there is a, an identity crisis in the world. People don't have the slightest clue of who they are. Or what they are, even. You may have seen it. There was a documentary movie that was released this week called uh, What is a Woman? And the whole documentary is on the premises that people can't, couldn't tell this guy what a woman was. And on the, on the trailer, the man goes to a woman's march where women are marching for rights of women. That was the whole purpose. That, you know, we're marching for women. And he goes up to him and says, um, I see you're marching for women. He said, what's a woman? And they just looked at him and started laughing. But they couldn't answer. They couldn't tell him what a woman was. They know what a woman is. But their whole concept, their whole reality that they've invented makes it una unable for them, who are marching for women, who had taken 
the day off and gone through this march to march, to make signs and, and protests and all these sorts of things, that four women, and they couldn't even tell him what a woman was. And people have all these mixed up ideas that, about their identity and who they are and what they're supposed to be and what they're doing here. Well, the reason is they're lost. So how can a person not know the difference between a man or a woman? How can a person not know if they're a man or a woman? Well, they're lost. If you're, if you're out in the woods and you're lost, you don't know which way is which. You don't know which way is north or south. You're lost. You could be anywhere. You could be five minutes from civilization. You could be five hours from civilization. You're lost. And people without Christ are lost. They don't know which way is which. And without God's common grace, and when God gives uh, a people over to a reprobate mind, they don't even have the common grace of natural law to know the most basic things. They are lost. But you and I, who have been found by Christ, we have truth. And not only do we know certain things, we know who we are. And if you are in Christ, that is part of your identity. You are loved by Christ. I recently read a book, and he, in the book he says you should he said, take a piece of paper and a pencil and write down all the things that you are. So you might say, so I might say, well, I'm a pastor, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a sinner, I'm a failure, um, I'm whatever. I'm all these different things. But he says, you know, what you ought to do is, is stop and think about what the Bible says that you are. You are in Christ. You are loved by Christ. You are a friend of Christ. You have his righteousness. You are blessed by God in Christ. You are adopted into God's family by Christ. You are accepted by God in Christ. That's your identity. That's who you are. No matter what else you are this morning, if you have put your faith in Jesus, that, that's who you are. That's your identity. That, you will always be that. Whenever I was a teenager, if you would have asked me that question, I'd say, oh, well, I'm a ball player. That was my identity. That's all I cared about. You know, I, I would wake up and think about how I was going to, what sport I was going to play and how I was going to get better and all these types of things. That's all I cared about. That's who I was. Well, then I ruined my knee, and that was the end of all that. In one second, it was all over. Well, then what was I? Because the day before I was a ball player, now what am I? Because that's all over with. That, and that's unsettling. That, that's a, an unsettling place to be. And some, some women, you ask them who they are, well, I'm a mother. Well, then your children leave home, and then you say, what? And then they say, well, what am I now? Because for 20 years or more, I've been a mother. I'm, you know, there's, you know, you say, well, they're still my children, I'm still a mother, but you know what I mean. That they've, they've left home, and, and then now, the, the house is empty, and, the, and you say, well, what am I? Well, you might work for 50 years, and then you retire, and, and then you were a worker for all these years, and then you retire, and you say, now what am I? 
One of these days, I might have to stop preaching. I've already been preaching more in my life than I haven't been preaching. But what if I have to stop? Then what would I be, right? It's disorienting. Well, Jesus tells us who we are. We have our identities in Christ no matter what happens, whether we're, we're healthy or we're sick, whether we're working or we're not, whether the thing that we love and have dedicated our lives to is, is there or it's gone. We are loved by Christ. We have his righteousness. We are blessed by Christ. We are in his family. We are accepted with Christ. We have friendship with Christ. And that's part of that joy that can't be taken away from us. That's part of that abiding joy. That no matter how our life changes, you say, well, I'm a failure. Okay, are you a failure? Or has failure, have you failed at things, but, but in God's providence, he has uh, worked all things to your good. And then maybe you have failed at one thing, but you are, you are in him. And that he is using even that for your good and for your glory. See, these are words of encouragement. That you are my friend. So no matter what is going on in your life right now, you can take verse 14 and say, that's who I am. That's who I am this morning. I'm maybe not what I used to be, but I, I still am that. I might not be what I want to be, but I, I still am this. That's a blessing of abiding in Christ. Another blessing of abiding in Christ this morning is verse 16 is assurance. Jesus says, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever ye shall ask of my Father in my name, he may give it to you. You might say, well, I can't love the way Jesus calls me to love. And, and no, you can't. You can't love like you ought. And you don't love like you ought. But Christ isn't calling us this morning to, to measure the amount of love. But he's, saying, he's telling us, to remember why we love at all. So I want you to remember this, that, that your joy might be full. And then he wants us to have assurance in what he has done for us. Because you might be thinking, well, you know, I just can't do all the things that the Lord would have me to do. I can't make it. I, I can't endure to the end. I, I, I can't live up to that high standard. Jesus says, you haven't chosen me. I've chosen you. You might say, well, I can't love like that. You don't think the Lord knows that? You don't think the Lord knows who you are and what you are and what you can do and what you can't do? You didn't choose me, Jesus said. I chose you. And I didn't choose you because how good you were. And I didn't choose you for how uh, strong you were. And I didn't choose you for how much faith that you had. It was an unconditional love and an unconditional choosing. Oh, but Lord, I can't. You didn't choose me. I chose you. There is comfort there. There is assurance there. He didn't choose me based on my goodness. I don't know why he did choose me but it was by the good pleasure of his will that he did. And oh, I thank the Lord that he did. And I, am, I have assurance because he did. 
because it wasn't choosing on if I could hang on, but because he, he chose to show grace. So there's assurance there. There's also assurance in the sovereignty of God. Look what he says. I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. Oh, but what if I don't love enough? And what if I don't keep the commandments enough? Jesus says, I chose you and I ordained you that you would bring forth fruit. But Jesus Jesus says that, that if I don't produce fruit, then I'm not his. And, and I can't produce fruit of my own. Jesus knows that. He, told, he tells us that in verse 5. Without me, you can do nothing. You can't do, produce fruit. But if you abide in him by faith, you are in Christ, and you will produce fruit. And he has ordained that you would do so. And that means that he has not only willed it to come to pass, but he has decreed it will come to pass and has ordained for it to come to pass. Jesus said he has ordained that his people would bring forth fruit. It will happen. So we can have assurance that we will, we will bear, we will bring, and then it will remain. In God's sovereignty, he chose us unto salvation. He ordained that we would bring fruit. He ordained that we would bear fruit. He brings it to pass by his sovereign work in us. He gives us life that we may have, uh, that we can bring forth fruit. He gives us power to do so. He works in us through the blessed Holy Spirit. He works in us to produce that fruit and to make us willing and able that we might follow him and bear fruit. Then he ordains that the fruit should remain. I used to get so scared that my whole life was pointless. And I'm not talking about as a lost man, I'm talking about as a saved man. Because people would say, you know, if you don't do everything exactly right, then then all your works for the Lord are going to burn up in the fire. If all your I's are not dotted and all the T's aren't crossed, then your whole life is pointless. And your whole life is ruined. And your whole life is wasted. If you don't do everything just exactly the right way, in the right manner, and then nothing will remain. I got to the point of almost despair. Because I would think, here I am, I love the Lord, I want to serve the Lord, I want, I want to glorify the Lord, I want to worship the Lord, but, but what if I go and go to church and my, my mind wanders for a minute? Well, then all is lost. Or what if every T is not crossed just exactly the right way? And, and what if I don't have a, a full surrender to everything that the Lord has me to do? Then it's all lost. Well, I listen to people tell me what God required, but then I started looking and God didn't say what they said he said. The things that they required wasn't what Jesus required, it was what they required. Yes, Paul talks about our works being burnt up. Works that, uh, of sin, works of, of selfishness. But what does Jesus tell the disciples here? 
But you're going to bear fruit and your fruit should remain. The Lord will ordain the fruit and then He will keep the fruit that is to remain. There's not one person who's ever walked the earth that has ever done anything completely and fully perfect without any hint of, of, of depravity. Because we are, we are still sinners. And even the good things that we do, sometimes we do them for the wrong reasons and, and so forth. The Lord understands this as well. And He has ordained us to bring forth fruit, and that fruit, and the fruit should remain. We have assurance in serving the Lord. We have assurance that if we love the Lord Jesus, and we follow the Lord Jesus, that our fruit will remain. Even if it's tainted with our failures. Even if it's tainted with 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 our inability to do everything exactly perfect, our fruit will remain. And I can prove that to you because we're sitting here right now in West Virginia in 2022 reading the New Testament, the Gospel of John. Why? Because it went from 11 disciples and they met, and there was 120 disciples after the resurrection. And Peter preached, and it was thousands of disciples. He preached again, there were thousands of disciples. And then they were scattered abroad, and there were churches started here, and churches started there. And they grew, and they grew, and they spread, and they grew, and they spread. And they were persecuted, and they spread some more, and they've gone throughout the whole earth. The truth has remained that the fruit of their Love of Jesus that started out with 11 men in the open room with the Lord Jesus, that their preaching, their faithfulness, their love for the Lord, their love for one another produced fruit. And then the next church, likewise, and it produced fruit. And it remains. It remains to the glory of God because the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. It's not a blessing to know that even Peter, when Peter denied the Lord, and then a little bit later on in the book of Galatians where Peter was hanging out with the, uh, with the legalists, wouldn't eat with the Gentiles, that Peter's whole life wasn't just wasted and ruined away. That John Mark, whenever he left Paul, that his whole life wasn't wasted and thrown away. He came back and served the Lord that... that you have many examples in the New Testament where people failed. They didn't do things right. The Lord wasn't done with them. The Lord, the Lord continued to use them. We have an assurance in our works, assurance in our salvation, assurance in our fruit. We have assurance in prayer. Jesus said that whatsoever you shall ask in the name of my Father, or ask of my Father in my name, he might give it to you. So you say, I don't have the ability to do this. Well, of course you don't, but Jesus says if you ask the Father, he'll give you what you need. I can't love like I ought. I don't have joy like I ought. Well, it's the outworking of God's work in you, so pray the Father that he will work in you and you will produce fruit. You can be assured that God will answer that prayer because you can be assured that our priest who encourages us to pray will intercede for us. And you can have assurance that your Father in heaven 
hears your prayers because he is delighted when we by faith follow him and he is delighted to help when we ask for it. That should give you assurance this morning that your father says, this is what I want you to do. I've ordained for it to come to pass. It'll, I'll bring it to pass. I want you to do this. But just ask me. And I'll give you whatever you need. Ask me for wisdom. I'll give it to you. Ask me for grace. I'll give it to you. Ask me for comfort. I'll give it to you. Jesus says, this is what I command you. You love one another. And if you're lacking in anything to do that, just ask me. Ask, ask my Father. He'll give it to you. So not only does he command us, he works in us to do that. He ordains that it will come to pass and says, well, if you can't do it, or if you're struggling, just ask me. That's all you have to do, and, and I'll do it. Uh, my Father will be delighted to give this to you because you are glorified when you do it, or he is glorified when he gives it to us. And the last thing is verse 17, fellowship. These things I command you that you love one another. Here's the command. Love one another. Jesus said many times in this upper room, the Lord wants us to have joy. Child of God, he wants you to have joy. He wants you to experience that joy by keeping the commandment to love one another. Jesus shows us the way because he loved us. That his joy would remain in us. Jesus said, look, I'll show you the way. Just, just do what I did. I love the Father. And I'm delighted to do the Father's will. And I have joy in the Father. I have joy in loving you, my disciples. I have joy in keeping the commandments. I have joy in glorifying God. He said, so that's what I want you to do. So you might have joy too. And even though we don't do it enough or don't do it perfectly, the point is that we do it. And we produce fruit because that's God's will. And then, by and by, by God's grace, we'll produce more fruit and have more joy and have more love and be loved more. Why? Because he chose us to that end and ordained that it will happen. He ensures it will come to pass. He makes sure it's last. it lasts. And when we pray for it, for help, we get it. And where is the garden where all this is produced? Well, it's right here. The fellowship of the saints. The garden by where we can love one another is right here with one another. So the Lord creates an institution where he will be glorified. He creates a, a body where he would be worshipped. And he said, when you gather together to worship me, I want you to love one another, and I want you to fellowship with one another. And I want you to have this opportunity to show your love for Christ by loving one another. I want you to serve me by serving one another, as Christ obeyed the Father by being a servant for, for his disciples. Christ didn't come to serve, or be served, but he came to serve. And he did this to the glory of the Father. We, to glorify God the Father, love one another and experience the blessing of fellowship in the body of the saints, in the body of believers. So our glorifying God 
and honoring God and worshiping God is given expression by loving one another. And so as we come to worship, we not only experience the love and adoration of, of our God, and we worship Him with all of our heart and all of our soul, but we also experience the love that we have with one another. And in this, this garden, so to speak, in this body, we have the opportunity for our fruit to, to be exemplified and be shown. By serving our God, by loving one another. Oh, what joy there is in abiding in Jesus. Chapter 15 used to kind of scare me a little bit, but I've just been overcome with, with the, the blessings and the joy that, that is here for God's people. The assurance, the joy, the love, the fellowship, and the communion that Christ gives us in Him. I pray that God would, would bless you and these truths would be driven home very deep into our hearts, what we have in Christ.